So I'm done. We've been talking about it for the last uh, few weeks. I'm done. Uh, week number one, I'm done making excuses. Week number two, I'm done complaining. Uh, last week, we talked about I'm done living in fear. And today, because you can already see it on the screen, I am done with comparing. No more. I'm done. Finished. I am done with comparing. Now, how many of you know this? It is easier to say I'm done with that than to actually be done with it. And the reason why is because we compare all the time. How many of you know that we compare all the time? Even if you're not thinking about it consciously, most of the time, subconsciously, we are comparing. In fact, we have a tendency, and I'll give you four areas where we have, and this will resonate. You maybe have never thought about it in the kind of tangible terms that I'll mention it, but you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've done that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been there, done that. But, uh, you know, in really four comparison categories, this is what we do. Number one, we compare, and it's so easy to do this, we compare possessions. And you say, well, no, I don't. Well, you know, generally speaking, you may be the one exception. You may be like Jesus Jr., and if somebody's sitting near you, they can say, wow, I didn't know I was sitting next to Jesus this morning. They never compare anything. But most of us have. We compare possessions. We can compare all kinds of possessions. We can compare cars, or houses, or the furnishings in that house, or, or the toys that we have. But how many of you know this about comparing? No matter what we have, no matter what we've been blessed with, we're going to always be able to find somebody that has something better, right? Somebody that has something better, all right? So we compare possessions. Secondly, we compare uh, appearances. And you say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. We can't help it sometimes. We compare um, we compare appearances. Have any of you ever done this? Now, when, you, when you're my age, you may be more inclined to do this. I, I don't do Facebook. I have trouble keeping up a phone call and emails and text messages. I don't have time to do Facebook. So I have friendships with people that are into Facebook. So I can piggyback on it and sort of see what's going on. And some of you have heard me uh, talk about this. A good while back, I was in Atlanta. I was with my sister who has Facebook. And I said, I said, Debbie, let's look at some of our old high school friends. She was one grade below me. And man, just, you know, comparing appearances. And, I, and I, you may say, well, that's shallow. Well, I wasn't, try, I wasn't doing it in a prideful way. Although I will say, I said, look up Scott. And I gave his last name. He could be in this service. I don't think he would be. So I don't want to give his last name. And this was back in Georgia. So I'm almost confident. Maybe he's a Christian now. Maybe he's going to listen to the podcast. So I don't want to identify him. But Scott was like the elite athlete of the whole school. I mean, in every sport, he was the star. He was the star in football. He was the star in basketball. He was the star in baseball. This guy was a tremendous athlete. So after we had looked at some of our friends on Facebook, I said, hey, let's take a look at Scott. And I'm just thinking, Scott Steele, he's going to be like, you know, he's going to be this ferocious athlete. He's going to be, you know, uh, just as, as chiseled and strong as he was in high school, just the epitome of a great, great athlete. He wasn't. He wasn't. That's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to compare appearances, but I'm like, okay, all right, Jesus, thank you. No, not really. I didn't go that far with it, but 
I'm like, wow, we, we do that. We compare, you know, hair, clothes, shoes, smile, shape, build, fitness, how we're aging. Are we aging well? Are we not aging so well? I was walking through the church the other day, and uh, a guy stopped me, and I've not seen him long, uh, in a while. And he said, man, this is what he said. He didn't say, hey, how are you doing? It's good to see you again. Not seeing you in a while. How are you doing? How are your family? This is his words. He said it just like this. He looked at me, sort of followed. He said, man, your hair is getting gray. I'm like, bless you too, you know, bless you, you know. May, may you discover an abundance of fleas in your comforter when you lay down in the bed tonight, you know, bless you too. But we do that. We compare, but we always can find somebody that looks better without much effort at all. We, thirdly, we compare performance. We can compare job performance to somebody else, talents or abilities. You went to school or college with somebody and you can sort of compare the success. I'm more successful than them. I'm not as successful as them. Why do they have so much money? We can, uh, you know, compare a person's perceived net worth. We can compare what a great parent somebody is. I wish I could be that good of a parent. Seem like they always have their act together. And I'm just trying to keep these kids, you know, sort of rounded up, like trying, you know, like trying to herd cats, just trying to keep them all in one place at one time. Uh, fourthly, we all too often compare circumstances and we say, well, look at their kids. They have perfect kids. By the way, they don't have perfect kids. And we say, look at their marriage, their marriage. Look, you know, Facebook, again, I'm not on Facebook, so I'm only repeating what I hear. Look at that. Look at that. I have people tell me from time to time, you know, so-and-so, it just seems like they're always so happy. They're going here. They're doing this. And I'm just thinking maybe I'm a little bit too cynical. Yeah, they're putting that on Facebook. They're having a great time. They're smiling, but they're not posting that they just had a major fight just before that picture, you know while they're on vacation. Uh, they, they're not posting. So we compare, you know, a person's happiness. We compare their breaks in life. Why are their circumstances so much better than my circumstances? Now, we compare. We compare a lot of things, possessions, appearances, uh, performance, circumstances, and all we could go. But those are the four primary areas. And we may think that the comparison trap is not that big of a deal, but God, and I want you to hear me clearly on this, God is actually severely opposed to comparing. He is. And that's why we need to talk about it. God is severely opposed to us doing all of our comparisons. That's why, hopefully beginning today and the days to follow, we'll say, I'm done with that. Not that we won't ever fall into that trap, but we won't stay there. We'll be like, oh, been there, done that. I need to be done with that. God wants me to be done with that. It's not healthy. It's not wise. It's not smart. And it can lead to some things that I don't need to be a part of my life. So, so therefore, I'm done with it. So God is severely opposed to comparing, and I, I want to tell you why. You may want to jot this down. This is going to be really, really, really helpful to you because some of you are not yet convinced you need to be done with comparing, but I'm about to tell you why you should. And the reason would be, first of all, God wants you and I to be done with comparing because comparison is the contrast to contentment. And God wants you and me to be content. A lot of you know this thematic verse concerning this. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. I love this verse. We do not dare. Now look at some of the language. You're going to say like, what? What did it say? You're going to have to go back and read it later. It's out of the NIV. We do not dare to compare or we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, now look at these words, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, how many of you know you can get tongue-tied just doing that right there? They are not wise. 
It's just not wise. Paul said, as he's inspired of the Holy Spirit, it's not smart. It's not smart to do the comparing thing. It's just not a wise thing to do. In fact, uh, it's reckless to spend our life comparing because it is the contrast. It is the opposite of contentment, and God wants us all to be content. And when you and I and this is how it works. When you and I are always comparing, even when we're doing it subconsciously, we're comparing, we're comparing, comparing. It becomes the death of our com uh, contentment. And furthermore, it disintegrates our joy. Because you can always find somebody that has more, somebody that looks better, somebody that has this going for them, somebody that's better in that area, somebody that has, you know, a greater net worth, somebody that seems to have their act together, somebody, and you'll, and you'll always be, and it will, it will just disintegrate. Paul said, don't do it. Don't do it. Learn the value, and we'll come to this later, being content, and it's just not wise to compare yourself. Now, please capture that. When we waste our time comparing what we've entered into is sort of an inferior or superior game. And the wise thing to do would be to just look at who God created you to be, who you are, rather than trying to be, and we're going to come back to this because it's really important, rather than trying to be somebody else or trying to copy somebody else. You just be who you are. Don't spend your life. Listen, this is unwise. This is foolish. God doesn't want us to do it because to spend our life saying, you know what, if, if I could just have what they had. If I could just do what they're doing, if I could just be who they are, God is severely opposed to comparing because comparing is the contrast to contentment, and God wants, wants us to live lives of contentment. Here's a second reason why God is opposed to comparing. It can cause us to become prideful. It can cause us to become prideful. And, and I mentioned that, and it wasn't like some deep, sinister pride. But you know what? When I said to my sister, hey, pull up Scott. I just, you know, I, when I looked at Scott, and then I, I, by the grace of God, I try to somewhat take care of myself, although I love pizza and I'll have it tonight and a bowl of ice cream because it's my splurge night tonight, <laughs> right after church, and I look forward to Sunday nights to the glory of God. <laughs> but there was a little bit, when I saw Scott, this athlete who in high school was so, I mean, he was like my hero, athletically speaking, and then, and I just had a little bit of that pride. How many of you know, or is it okay? Can I continue with the message even though I've admitted that? I just had a, like, you know what? Uh, I could teach Scott something. <laughs> pride is so wrong. But I felt it. Now, we know this happens in the scripture. Look at this right here with me. This is Luke 18. You remember the story, many of you do. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now look at what's playing out. Look at the comparison. It becomes, it becomes a dark kind of pride, not just fun and, you know, uh, that kind of, but this becomes more serious, much more serious in nature. The Pharisee, the religious guy stood up and he prayed about who? Say it again. Prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Anybody see any pride going on right there? <laughs> Thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like, have you ever wondered if the tax collector heard this guy saying this? I'm so glad, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. You know, all these people, and especially this guy standing in the temple, I fast twice a week and give a tenth for all I get. 
Here's another reason why God is severely opposed to us comparing, because it leads to pride. Dr. David Leem writes this, pride is really a problem of insecurity. Pride is really, did you hear that? Pride is really a problem of insecurity. That is what drives a person to envy what others have and to lift himself up. A secure person, I love the way he says this, a secure person does not need to exalt himself. Christ will exalt him in due time. Remember now, as I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, that comparison has this inferior, superior element to it. It's a superior element game attached to it. And if we view, now listen to this, if we view ourselves lesser than we should, not greater, but lesser than we should, it leads to self-pity. Wave your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about, all right? If we view ourselves lesser than who God created us to be, then that leads to self-pity. But on the flip side, if we view ourselves more than we should, that's going to lead to pride. And God doesn't want any of us to be proud. God wants us to be content with what we have. I'll come back to that. God doesn't want us to compare because, again, comparing is the opposite of contentment. God doesn't want us to compare because it will lead to pride. Thirdly, let me give you a third reason why God is severely opposed to comparing. Because comparing can cause us to become resentful. Resentful. We compare, well, God, why do they have more than me? God, why do they have this? Why do they have this going for them? Why are, you know, why are they, you know, why are their kids so well-behaved? And my kids are like, you know, they're like the chain gang or something. You know, why, you know, why, why is my life, why is my career, why is my job, why? And, and if we're not, if we're not careful, that whole comparing, that's why God wants us to be done with comparing. It can lead to resentment. And there's a classic example of this found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And we'll come to the verses in just a moment. But let me give you just a narrative, a brief background, a narr narrative as to what is playing out here. At this point in Israel's history, the Philistines have a have an upper hand on the Israelites. In fact, the, the, the Philistines have become a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites. They have become a nuisance and a burden to the people. And the Israelites have no answer for it whatsoever. They have zero answer. And this is in the days of King Saul. All right. So King Saul has the Israelite army and they're trying to fight against the oppressiveness of the Philistines. But again, they have no answer for it. And, and it's, it's, it's just harsh. It's, it's bad in every way. King Saul, he has the Israelite army. And at this particular time in the narrative of Israel's history, they're faced off in a valley, sort of, you know, the Philistines, uh, that army is on one side of the valley, the Israelite army, King Saul's in his tent, and they're on the other side of the valley. And among among them, among the Philistines, is this massive giant who's like their, their um, you know, he's like their chief leader. He's the main guy. And you remember, if you grew up in church, you heard about him in Sunday school. His name was Goliath. And so King Saul is the leader of the Israelite army, but he's not doing a very good job because he won't go out and fight. He's, you know, he wants to stay in the security of his tent where it's nice and safe. And every single day, this is what would happen every day. Listen, they're in this valley. Do you have this picture in your mind? Uh, Goliath and Philistine army over here, Saul in his tent, the Israelite army, and they're severely intimidated by the Philistines. And every day, here's what would happen is Goliath would walk out of his end zone to the 50-yard line, and he would stand there, and he would curse God, and he would taunt God's team, the Israelites. And he had just, and he had cursed God. He had, and this is going on 
every day. In fact, you go back and look at this in the scriptures. It says that the Israelite army would be lined up. The other side of the valley here would be Goliath. He'd walk down and he would start this and the Israelite army would turn and flee. Now, David, who would later become shepherd David, who would later become King David, he has some brothers that's a part of the Israelite army. And one day his dad sends him out to check on his brothers and to take them some food. So here comes David. He shows up. He doesn't realize yet what is going on. And so he's got a couple of bags for his brothers, you know, some Chick-fil-A sandwiches and waffle fries. It's my story. I'll tell it the way I want. All right. So... All right, maybe it was something else, but that word's for me. So he shows up, and while he's saying, hey, Dad wants to know how you guys are doing, and by the way, here's some food, and it gets distracted with what's going on, and it becomes, it becomes, he's like, how can you guys stand around? Now he's got a little group. How can you stand around? Watch this guy come down and, uh, you know, curse God and defy the army of God, the Israelites. How can you guys just stand back and, and just let that happen? And he goes to King Saul, and King Saul like, this is a bad dude, and, you know, he's like, the middle linebacker, and, and he's, he's bad to the bone, and, and we're all afraid of him, including me. And he said, well, listen, I'll, I'll fight him myself. And he's like, you're, look, you're just a little boy. What are you talking about? And he said, well, if you're, and then Saul, you know, Mr. Courageous, hey, well, listen, if you're going to fight him, because nobody else would, at least let me uh, give you my armor, and he puts it on, and it doesn't fit him. It's way too big. You know, he's a medium. Saul is a double XL, and it's not even working. And he says, well, I, I don't need it anyhow. And he goes, out, you know the story, and he slays Goliath. He slays Goliath. He takes him down, and now guess who scatters? The Philistine army scatters. Now, afterwards, this is what happens afterwards. I mean, there is celebration. There is celebration. Now Israel does have an answer to this, and David is being celebrated because he's the one guy that was willing to fight, and he not only fought Goliath, he killed Goliath. And so they're going back to town. They leave the scene of the battle, and they're going back to town. I want you to see what happens. I want you to see. Here becomes a very resentful guy, and that's what comparison will do. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the cheerleaders from all, uh, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. Look at what they sang. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Look at this. Resentment is about to fester. Saul has killed his thousands. Saul said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he is hiding in the tent. Yeah, that's me, King Saul. And David, his ten thousands. What? <laughs> Look at the next part. This made Saul. Thank you for participating. I'm glad you're away. <laughs> this made Saul. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, very important statement. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. If you know the story, you know how it played out. You also know that King Saul never recovers from this and the end of his life becomes a great tragedy. Why? Because from this point forward, his life is filled with jealousy and resentment. He kept a jealous eye on David. And God's, that's one of the reasons why God wants us to be done with comparing. Well, why couldn't he, I mean, why couldn't he let David get a little credit? He was the guy who was hanging out in the security of his own tent and wouldn't go and fight. You know, he's the leader of the Israelite army as king. He wasn't about to do it, but he wouldn't let David get some credit. And so his life was filled with resentment. Please listen, friends. God is totally serious about the rest of your days. The rest of your days being free of discontentment. God is serious about 
you and I making sure that all manner of pride is pushed out of our life. God does not want us to live the remainder of our days filled with resentment. And yet, that is the exact path that comparing will lead us down to where we become discontent or we become prideful or we have all this resentment and jealousy going on in our life. And it doesn't make for a very pleasant life. And God says, I want you to be done with it. David said, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. And he's not trying to take credit. Paul is saying it's not wise to compare. Now, having said everything that I've said, are you surprised to hear me say that God has a much better plan for your life and my life? That God has a much better plan for your life and my life than chronically comparing? Would you like to know what God's plan is? Would you? Anybody? Okay. Nobody does. So we're done. Let's pray. <laughs> Would you like to know what God's plan is? There's a couple of truths here that I'll, I'll give you before we're done. And these are so important. These approaching the rest of your days this way, rather than being filled with pride or resentment or discontentment, it is so much better to live your life God's way. And I'm going to give you two things, and then we're going to be done. Number one, number one, be thankful for what you have. Eight of you said amen. What about the rest of you? Be thankful for what you have. Well, I don't have much. Be thankful for what you do have right now. You know, there's a couple of cars that I learned. Looking back, and I was just thinking about it working on this talk. I, I look back, and man, I have, I've had some doozy of some cars. I've had cars I've had to learn to be thankful for. <laughs> I can remember one, a 1982 Toyota Corolla. SR5 hatchback. Sounds great, doesn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't. I had to learn to be thankful for it. Actually, by the time I was finally able to uh, move to a different car, I, I gave this car away. And I, I wanted to do, I I you know, I guess there was an upside and down. I wanted to be generous because there was somebody that didn't even have a car. And I figured my car would be better than no car. And it actually was way better than no car. But probably there was another thing going on in my mind that's been so long ago that I couldn't have sold the thing anyway. Because at this point, I kid you not, I had added a couple of really cool accessories to it by now. One was uh, weed eater string, and the other was duct tape. <laughs> really cool accessories on a guy that was trying to be cool. But I had to be thankful for it. There's another car that I had to be thankful for, and it was a Crown Victoria that was the length of one and a half football fields. And it was demon-possessed. I know that because it had a spirit of hesitation. I'd drive it, and it would just stop and go and stop. And I mean, it, would ha it wouldn't cut off. It would just stop and go and stop and go. And, and I'm like, why? And, and it would. You just never knew. You could be driving along, and you're just like. And it'd start going again. I'm like, in fact, Drew was real small at the time, and you'll love this. You'll love this. I drop him off at the front of the school. One day he looks at me, and he said, Dad, can we stop at Walmart? I said, why? You got everything you need. He said, yeah, but I want a ski mask. I want to just pull it on over my face so nobody even knows that I'm getting out of this demon-possessed car. I had to be thankful for that car. Any of you have a car like that you had to learn how to be thankful for? Any of you ever lived somewhere you had to learn to be thankful for? 
I was thinking about the very first apartment that we had after we got married. Listen, I'm not saying it's small, but the mice wouldn't even stay because they were claustrophobic. <laughs> They're like, we're out of here. We're out of here. It was so small that the electric company cut me a check every month. <laughs> Maybe I exaggerate slightly, but it was small. Is it possible that God isn't going to give you any more until you learn to be thankful for what you already have? Is it possible that God's not going to give you any more until you learn to be faithful with what you already have? Now, if you're a church person, you're already familiar with this verse, but I want you to look at it on the screen. Look at it with me. Let's check it out. This is Paul again. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. I've just learned to be content. Comparison is the opposite of contentment. Contentment is the opposite of comparison. He said, I know how to live in poverty. Been there, he said, done that, or prosperity. Been there, done that, he says. No matter what the situation, read this phrase with me. Will you read it? I've learned the secret of how to live. When I'm full or when I'm hungry, when I have too much or when I have too little, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. When my grandkids were real small, I'd be holding them. I'd say, you want Papa to tell you a secret? And they'd do their head. And I'd just start whispering in their ear. I wasn't saying anything, but they just loved. Even then, they just loved a secret. I'd just whisper, whisper. And they'd just, as long as I'd whisper in their ear, they'd just stay like almost spellbound. We love a secret, don't we? Hey, tell me a secret. Tell me a secret. What are you whispering about? Tell me. Paul said, I've got a secret. You want to know what it is? And we're like, yeah, Paul, tell us. I've learned the secret of being content. I've had a lot and I've had a little, I've had too much, I've had too little. I've been in po poverty, I've been in prosperity, I've been all over the map. But he said, you know what? I've just learned to be content. He learned a secret. He learned what all of us need to hunt down in our life, the secret of contentment, which is so much better than comparing. So first of all, this is God's plan. First of all, be thankful for what you have. And then secondly, God wants us to be mindful of who we are. Just be thankful for what we have. It's not, it's not rocket science. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm just saying it's so much better way to live our lives. Say, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be mindful of who you created me to be. Because if we overestimate who we are, as we mentioned earlier, we become prideful. However, if we underestimate our value, we miss the truth that God says about you, about me. Here's the line of reality. No matter where you fall on this spectrum, this kaleidoscope of, you know, I feel better about myself than I should or I feel worse about myself than I should. Uh, this, listen, this is the line of reality, and this is what matters most, and I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. What matters most is not what you think about you, but what does God think about you. That's what matters most. What God thinks about you matters way more than what you think about you. Now, you're saying, well, what does God think about me? I want you to look at this verse. It's a great verse. Look at it right up here on the screen. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is true for everybody. This is not just true for me or some people. It's not just true for, you know, a percentage of us that have gathered. This is true for every person in this place right here, right now. And I want you to read these first five words with me. Let's read them a couple of times. You ready? For we are God's workmanship. For we are God's workmanship. 
One more time. For we are God's workmanship. Now, I, don't, I don't know all that ladies did in high school. When I went to school, they still had things like a woodworking class. You know, that was the turn of the century. We were making wood for Noah and his ark and bringing it over to him. Any of you grew up in high school when you had a wood shop class? Any of you have that? Some of you did. How about metal shop? How about art class where you made things? You remember that? I can remember. Um, I, I wasn't a hunter. I, I don't even know if, if I even owned, owned, owned a rifle. But uh, when I was in high school, I made, because it, you know, quite honestly, it looked like the most simple thing to make and get a good grade. I made a gun rack in wood shop. I was so proud. This was my workmanship. I did this. I got through with it, stained it, you know, sanded it down, cut the wood, sanded it down, stained it, and got through, put it all together. And I was quite proud of my workmanship. I made my, my mom a, a vase when I was in art class. Just took, you know, the, you know, sort of like Jeremiah would talk, Potter's Wheel, and I just, you know, and, uh, you know, she said it was lovely. Looking back, what a great mom. It, it was just, and painted the stuff on it, put it in the kiln, and took it and gave it to mom. I'm like, look, mom, look at this. I made my seven-year-old brother an ashtray. He didn't use it a whole lot, but no, I didn't really do that. I just made that up. But I'd made these certain things, and I'd be like, you know, I'm proud of this. This is my workmanship. I made this vase for my mom. I made this for my grandmother. I made this, you know, this gun rag. And God looks at you and me, and he created us. And when God created us, he really did have reason to be proud of his work. He did something remarkably special when he made you. Therefore, listen, this is why it's so important. It ties back to comparison, not getting caught in the comparison trap. You don't have to be somebody else. Let me just say it again. You don't have to be somebody else. You be you. You be you. Don't spend your life being discontent. Don't spend your life building up resentment because somebody has something you want or somebody looks the way that you'd like to look or, you know, their kids are behaved or, you know, their career is taken off or they're going to have a lot of money when they retire. Don't, listen, don't. Don't spend your life living your life that way. Just be you. Do the best. Be the best and do the best that you can do for you. But you be you because God created you to be who you are. I love the way Dr. Kevin Lehman, let me just say this. If you're ever wanting to read a good parenting book or a book, uh, you know, how to merge blended families, Dr. Kevin Lehman is like the champion on this. He's written some brilliant books. One of the books that I read, I've tried to read uh, a lot of his books and he's written many. And one of the books that he wrote, he says this, he says, remember you weren't put together on overtime at a factory in New Jersey. You were designed crafted, molded, and sculptured by no less a designer than God himself. And when he birthed you, God sat back, smiled, and said, this is good. And then he asked, yeah, you may not have taken the best care of what God gave you. You may have adopted a few habits that don't leave you looking your best. But don't insult your creator by ignoring the wonderful qualities he placed in you. Lehman said, learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful. You be you. Be thankful, be grateful for what you have. This is God's way. It's not the way that most people operate, I know. But be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what you have. Be faithful with what you have. And be mindful of who you are. Now, as we wrap up, would you go ahead and decide today that you will allow yourself to be who God created you to be and not be caught up in the comparison trap? 
Would you just say, God, I am done with comparing. I'm done with it. I'm done with it because I don't want to live my life. I don't want to live my life with resentment. I don't want to live my life in discontentment. I don't want to live my life being prideful because maybe I have things that other people don't have. I've been blessed in ways that other people haven't been blessed. Or I've got, that's a horrible way for you and I to live our life. Instead, decide, beginning today, that you and I are going to be thankful for what we have right now. God, I want to be thankful. It may be a 1982 Toyota Corolla. It may be a Crown Victoria that, you know, you had to have a 18-wheelers license to drive. It felt that big. Apartment so small, the mice are moving out. But be thankful for what you have. Because if you're thankful for it and you're faithful for it, God might be willing to trust you with more. And finally, be content with who you are. Be content. Don't try to be somebody else. You're not somebody else. You are not somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else. You are you. And God made you with divine intentionality. So, it's time to be done with comparing. And it's time to be done with this service. So, let's pray. Would you stand with me, everybody? God, we thank you so much that you give us the option to live a life that is truly life. None of us want to spend the rest of our days, God, all bound up with resentment and jealous because somebody has something we'd like to have or we feel is owed to us. We don't want to fill our life with pride looking and saying, God, you know, I must be somebody special above everybody else because of this. God, we don't want to live our life that way. We want to be content. We want to learn the secret. Paul, tell us the secret the secret of contentment. Help us to be thankful for what we have right now, right now, to be thankful for what we have right now and to be mindful of who we are and not try to be somebody that you've not created us to be. We're done making excuses. We're done, God, saying, I'm gonna live with fear. We're done, God, with comparing we're done with complaining because we want to be who you want us to be in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. Be right back next Sunday.